Dark Charm presents Noxo The Case Files of Joshua Chambers A crime drama set in the supernatural world of the Dark Charm universe and the havoc in Baltimore, Maryland and beyond Episode 6 No Comprende This guy was good. Real good. His venue of horror changed from Fort Armistead to other places, and over the span of two months, his reign of terror went unchecked. Each of the new murders occurred in areas deemed haunted by Maryland folklore or tourist websites, and all of them had the same modus operandi. They all had ties to Crownsville Hospital. Lynn Franklin, an elderly nurse from the Negro Hospital days, was found stabbed four times and hanging from her neck on a bridge at Lotsford Road in Prince George's County. The bridge is called Crybaby Bridge. Her grandson and her infant great-grandson, who were knocked out during the assault, ended up with piss and blood on them. When police arrived, they could hear the sound of the baby crying. Needless to say, if they knew the legend of the bridge, they would have been spooked. The next person was a homeless black man named Willie Steed, who was stabbed three times in the heart. He was found spread-eagled out in the woods on Crane Highway in Glen Burnie. Where they found the body, there used to be an old house which had claims of being haunted. Several years ago, however, the house was demolished. They never did anything with the property. There was no secondary victim there. The black man was also a former patient at Crownsville. That is where someone found the first letter. It was addressed to me personally. The countdown is winding down, Chambers. Can you find me in time? I'll give you a hint. Home isn't where the heart is, but where you are chained. You'd better watch out. For once, the state of Maryland decided that it was going to put effort into finding this guy. They kept me on the case once I started getting letters from him. It's like the asshole knew me personally but never called me by my first name. Just Chambers. The police tried to avoid telling the press anything, just so as not to incite the population of this. But eventually it was leaked. No one knew who provided the information. My bet was that whoever Krampus was, he leaked it. The people who were infected with the piss and blood of the perp were tested for Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. All three were infected. The baby great-grandson of Lynn Franklin died two weeks after infection. The baby's father was confined to a padded cell as his mood and his demeanor had changed to the maniacal. Even little Gigi Gaffney was put into a padded cell. She displayed the tendencies for violence and a bloodthirsty nature almost immediately. It was really quite sad. Eventually, they will die from the exposure as their brain would theoretically erode away. And that didn't happen. They started to become like Krampus. Evil. Lynn Franklin's son killed an orderly while they were serving him breakfast. He was put down by guards in an effort to protect themselves. 
Gigi Gaffney was put into an induced coma after she used a plastic fork to stab a CPS caseworker in the eyeball. Strange enough, the first woman who got the piss and blood shower from Krampus, Annabelle Graves, was absolutely fine. The doctors ran test after test on her, and she had no change in her, in her behavior whatsoever. She didn't succumb to any of the symptoms of CJD. Maybe this was because her brain was already fried due to the heroin? I have no clue. That was depressing, and now it was going to get worse. I got a call on Thanksgiving Eve of all damn days about another murder. I was planning on going to Karen's to help prepare for Thanksgiving dinner, but apparently Krampus had other ideas. Maryland State Police wanted me to come to Annapolis to see what had happened. I haven't been to Annapolis since high school, so I was looking forward to seeing some of the old buildings on the State House. That wasn't going to happen. I was thrust immediately into the investigation by the state police. The victim was an optometrist named Wallace Gray. He was found by the janitor and she called the authorities. She mentioned to them how he died, but I had to see for myself. They didn't touch the body until I got there. I pulled my car onto Main Street in Annapolis and got out. There were other Anne Arundel County police cruisers in the vicinity and they had warded off the block. The place was called Eyes on Main. I thought it was a great name, until I walked inside. Against the wall was Dr. Gray. He was suspended against a wall with two large knives in each of his ocular cavities. He had been dead for a while. Jesus Christ, I said out loud. Anne Arundel County sent their forensic guy to look at Dr. Gray. He was a bald white guy with a brown mustache that looked too much like Tom Selleck's. Amazing, huh? Brutal. Just brutal. Someone had to have a lot of strength to do that. What do you mean? The knives. They went through the brick. Behind the sheetrock is nothing but pure brick. And whoever did this put those knives through him and the wall to make him stand up there. Are you Chambers? Yes, I am. Why? He pointed over at the glass counter. He mimicked the America Online email app. You've got mail. That was proof that he was at least as old as I am, I smiled. Forgive me, but you are... He stood up and pulled off his gloves to shake his hand. Dr. Yodel Kent. That's a strange name. Where are you from? I responded as I shook his hand. I'm originally from Stevensville, but my father was a Jewish immigrant from Austria. I put on my own pair of neoprene gloves, just in case there were fingerprints. Dr. Kant shook his head. Already looked for prints, it was bare. Whether or not this guy is psychotic, that remains to be seen, but he is indeed smart. I opened the letter, but is he smart enough to not use his fingertips on the letter itself? I looked at the letter. The dock is dead. Good riddance. The countdown is almost over. You go number one. I'll give you a hint. There was a picture of me underneath, with crosshairs drawn on it. The killer never used a gun before. The only thing he used was knives. This makes me wonder where he took this picture. And after close analysis, I realized where. I was at Karen's. The sins of the father become the sins of the son. You'll know where to find me, beautiful. I handed the letter to Dr. Kant. Here, see what you can find. He started to read as he was getting his fingerprint kit ready. Krampus? 
That's some deep shit with Christmas coming around. What do you know about Krampus? Who is he? Dr. Kent looked at me in a confused manner. What? Did you think he just picked an alias like that for no reason? Krampus is the evil equivalent to Santa Claus. He's actually from Austro-Hungarian folklore. That's why I heard about it from my father, even though we were Jewish. We may have celebrated Hanukkah, but we knew about Krampus. You see, he is a horned, anthropomorphic figure described as half-goat, half-demon, who, during the Christmas season, punishes children who have misbehaved. In contrast with St. Nicholas, who rewards the well-behaved with gifts. You mean like the goat man? I tried to rationalize. You know, the goat man, like the one people talk about in Beltsville? No, the legends about that one has nothing to do with Krampus. Well, this Krampus hasn't had any child victims, but there were two children affected by him. Well then, children will eventually become his game. If you don't watch out and get him soon, what happened to the children he came in contact with? I paused. Not because I couldn't tell him metaphorically, but I couldn't tell him literally either. This was classified unless you were on the case. This is the one thing that the media didn't know about. Unfortunately, that's classified. Dr. Kant shrugged, and he started dusting the paper. There was one lone partial fingerprint. I might have something. The forensic specialist took care of the print as I took a closer look at Dr. Gray's body. Around his neck, there were choking marks caused by a large pair of hands. The knives, sharp and deadly, were carefully pulled out of the skull of the corpse and placed in evidence bags. The body itself was zipped into a body bag for further examination later. I talked to Dr. Kant before he entered his car. How strong does someone have to be to get that type of result? He paused a moment to think. The equivalency of a silverback gorilla. Something didn't add up about Krampus. All the places of death were either areas haunted or affected by spiritual energy. Then I saw where the optometrist's shop was located. It was next to the Maryland Inn, which had tales told about it that had been haunted for ages. Hours later, I drove back to Columbia with more questions than answers. I was mentally tired, but finally I arrived back at Karen's. This murderer had me worried now more than anything. He was coming after me, and that could hurt my family, and especially Karen. But why me? I never worked or stayed at Crownsville. I only visited. It had to do with my father. And his sins against Krampus were now my sins to bear. I got out of my car and I tried to the doorknob. The door was locked, so I knocked. I still had my own house. And one day now that Karen and I were getting serious, I was going to ask her to move in with me. She opened the door dressed only in a red cloth apron. Her eyes conveyed her mood. My eyes widened as her sensuous body, her toned white tan skin, and her perfect breasts started to make me crazy in all my pleasure points. I almost forgot what was going on. A good woman can do that to a man. But this definitely was not the time for hanky-panky. This was me being in my zone. Nuh-uh, dear. As much as it pains me to say this, but get some clothes on. We gotta talk. A look of disappointment crept upon her face. I got done most of the prep work for tomorrow. The turkey's almost thawed, and I thought that you and I could have some alone time. I walked into the apartment and sat down. I looked her dead in the eyes. He knew. 
That motherfucker knew. He who? I held up a copy of the letter that was sent to me by Krampus. What do you think? I'm his last target. No one around me at this point is safe. Karen walked into her bedroom. I followed like a mama bear after a cub. She started getting dressed. Normally this would depress me, but I wanted her alive and safe. I don't want to take any chances. I want you to go to your sister's house in Richmond. She pulled out her own gun from her bureau drawer. Uh, fuck that, Josh. I'm a cop too. I want to take this bastard out as much as you. Karen was no damsel in distress. I made a mistake thinking as such. But she showed me that she was even more vigilant than I. Moments later, there was a knock on Karen's door. Both of us pulled our pistols. We were on that edge. The eye hole that was on the door was broken, so I had no idea who was behind it. I dove deep into my angry black man voice. Who is it? I said with enough gumption to scare myself. There was no answer. This prompted me to pull open the door, and both Karen and I aimed at our target. It was Calliope Matranga, one of the keepers that I had met during the problems with the Daisy Johnson case. Oh, 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 hold on there, cowboys. I need to talk to you. I pulled her aside. Jesus Christ, I was almost going to shoot you. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you too, Joshua. Karen was silent at first. Who, who, who are you? I sighed in resolution. I think she can know. Know about what? Is she your girlfriend? How did you know he was here? Detective Long, my name is Calliope Matranga, and I work for an organization that is assisting Lieutenant Chambers in his work. And vice versa, I responded back. What do you want, Calliope? It looks like you could use some help on this case of yours. Because it's going to get uh, worse before it even starts to even remotely get better. She pulled out two photographs that had to have been from the late 70s to early 80s. It was a Christmas picture of two little white boys with brown hair. One looked to be five and the other about two. This is Brendan Nuttenreiter and his little brother Jimmy. What about them? I asked nonchalantly. When we did our version of our investigation at Fort Armistad, there was a reason why the killer chose that room. Jimmy and his brother were sexually assaulted in that hell room. And then when it was over, Jimmy Uttenreuther was killed. His brother, Brendan, he's the older brother of the two. He was left for dead. The police never got a record of the abuse, and Jimmy's death was labeled an accident. They never even called who it was. How do you know this? I had a feeling that she knew the words that came out of her mouth weren't going to sound right, but I knew what she was talking about. I talked to Jimmy. You mean you talked to Brendan? No, I talked to Jimmy. The dead one. He was the one causing the electrical disturbances. Calliope stared at Karen. Karen walked to a cabinet and pulled out a bottle of Bacardi rum. <sighs> I need a fucking drink. I motioned to her. Fuck the glasses, baby. Bring the bottle. So, Jimmy found out who hurt his brother and him. And now he's preventing him from killing more people? Are you saying Krampus is the killer? Calliope's face turned down. Karen noticed her apprehension. What? I asked. Calliope looked up. No, I'm saying that Krampus is Brendan. What the fuck? Karen said what I was thinking. Brendan was put in the loony bin. After all this went down, a test determined that what he had been through was made up. And let me tell you one thing, it wasn't. 
It was a clear cover-up. He knew who did all this, and he kept it to himself. They kept him drugged up and silent for years. Finally, he grew up and was taken out of that facility and put in Spring Grove, another loony bin. And then one day, he just disappeared without a flash, like he was never there. The proverbial light bulb went off in my head. Wait a minute. My dad's bed in Crownsville was next to a B. Utenreiter. Maybe this was him. He was a younger guy, but not a child. I stood up and took a swig of the carby. The familiar sweet burn was all I needed. Brendan must be really strong. The amount of killings and the like would have needed at least two people, and it was just one. The doctor in Annapolis stated that whoever killed Dr. Gray had the strength of a silverback gorilla. So combine that with the fact that he's a contagious carrier of CJD, and he becomes a very dangerous man. But how do you think he got so strong? He's feeding off of supernatural energy. It's making him stronger. Whether or not this is also making him more durable is a different story. Do you think he can take a bullet? Maybe several? Why do you think all of his kills have come where that activity is present? Calliope leaned back against the couch. Do you think you can take that information and run with it? Run with it? I have no idea where he would... Wait. I pulled out the first letter. I looked at it over several seconds and smacked my forehead after realizing that he was hiding from us in plain sight. Karen put a hand on my shoulder. What's wrong? I pointed to the paper below. I knew exactly where this asshole's going. He's going to try to get me to Crownsville Hospital. That's where all of this is going to go down. It's just a matter of when and at what cost. <laughs>